Ravina is going to read from Job 28, verses 1 to 28. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to the darkness. He searches the furthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from where people dwell, he cuts a shaft. In places forgotten by the foot of man, far from men, he dangles and sways. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Sapphires come from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eyes has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. Man's hand assaults the flinty rock and lays bare the roots of the mountains. He tunnels through the rock. His eyes see all its treasures. He searches the sources of the rivers and brings hidden things to light. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, is it not in me? The sea says, is it not with me? It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can it, its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onks or, or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystals can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Kush cannot compare with it, it cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way of it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the end of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it, and he said to man, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to shun evil is understanding. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would quieten our minds and soften our hearts, that we would focus on you and what you have to say to us in your word, that we would be encouraged and challenged to put our trust in you, even in difficult times. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. A young Christian friend was grieved to hear uh, the news that his best mate had just died. 
that he'd uh, hit his head uh, one day and didn't wake up the next. It was not long after that that uh, came the news about his brother who, uh, driving along the highway, had stopped for reasons unknown and when he pulled out, didn't see the truck that was hurtling along the highway and killed him. Not long after that came the day when uh, a kangaroo caused my friend to lose control of his vehicle and slam into a tree, uh, killing his new wife. We all suffer in life, yet some people seem to suffer more than others, don't they? And in ways which sometimes it's just hard to make any sense of, what would you say to my friend? How would you counsel him? We understandably ask the why question. Uh, Why have these things happened? As we seek to find some reason which makes sense of our suffering or that of others. Some people conclude that there is no sense, that there is no meaning, that it's all just the random effects of living uh, in this meaningless world. It's just bad luck and that's it, except for the lesson, the warning to be careful as we go about our daily lives in this meaningless world where people suffer. As Christians, we also search for some meaning in the midst of our trials and our difficulties, our sufferings. And today, as we continue our series on wisdom, we do so from the book of Job. And we do so because this is a series on wisdom and although suffering is the presenting issue in the book of Job, that behind it is actually the question of wisdom. What is wisdom? Where is it to be found? How can we obtain wisdom? What does wisdom say about suffering? And how can we respond wisely when our world seems to be collapsing around us? Now in the Bible, there were few, if any, people who suffered in the same way and to the extent than did the man Job. We're going to have a look at his suffering today, but we, and as we explore this issue of wisdom. But ex- before we get into wisdom, let's have a look and refresh ourselves in terms of the nature of the suffering of Job. Uh, if you would care to open your Bibles at Job chapter 1, the first five verses, we are introduced to this man, And he is described for us as being a man who is blameless, uh, that he is upright, that he is a man who feared God and, and who shunned evil. That is, Job is a godly man. And he's also, as we read in these verses, a man who had been greatly blessed by God with the uh, the things which are highly valued in his day and ought to be in our day as well, the, the family. He was blessed with family. 
and he was blessed with, uh, with great wealth. He was blessed with, with uh, livestock and assets and he was a man uh, of some stature. Yet that comfort in his life was not going to continue for him as we see in verse 6. Let me read to you from verse 6 to verse 12. One day the angels came to present themselves before God and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, well, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now this is a very strange passage, isn't it? A very strange passage where we get this uh, insight into the heavenly uh, reality, the spiritual warfare that's going on where Satan, the Satan, uh, challenges the Lord God and his challenge is that the only reason that Job loves and obeys God is because of what Job can get out of it. Uh, the blessings of family and wealth remove those things, says Satan, and he's not going to obey you. He's not going to love you. He's going to curse you. He'll hate you. So the question really is, will, God, will Job love God for who God is and not for the benefits that he receives? Now what <clears throat> follows, of course, is a series of calamities where Job is stripped of his assets uh, and, uh, and he's, he experiences bereavement in terms of the deaths of his children. And yet despite that, in verse 22 we read, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Armies had come in, had taken away his property, destroyed his property, a great wind had come and killed his family. And, you know, it'd be very easy for someone to point their finger at God and to blame God, but not Job. No, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So Satan's response to this in chapter 2 is to say, well, the only reason that Job has remained faithful is because you've, you've taken away his assets and you've, you've caused the death of other, other people, but he himself has not experienced any physical pain. So let's see, if, if he himself experiences physical pain, he would surely deny you. And so therefore God allows Satan to scourge him with a skin disease. Now, this is, <clears throat> this is worth reading just to feel the gravity of it, I think. Um, chapter 2, verse 7. 
chapter 2, verse 7, we read, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. You can feel that, can't you? So, you know, punish me in various ways, but not this way. Uh, and Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it just to try to deal with the pain as he sat among the ashes. This is a dreadful scene. Made even worse by the fact that his wife didn't actually encourage him in a godly manner. But you see, Satan's charge is not just against Job. Uh, it's also a charge against God. I mean, what kind of God needs to pay for the devotion of his followers? You know, if you will love and serve and obey me, then you will receive all of these things from me. So this suffering of Job now sets the scene for the rest of the book. And I'm taking that this, this is a story that's familiar to a lot of us. There may be some of us here who've are not familiar with Job. It'd be interesting to think about how many of us have actually read through the entire book of Job um, recently uh, because it's a fairly long book. In fact, <clears throat> as if Job was not suffering enough, he now has to endure 40 chapters of the wisdom of his so-called friends. Um, three, uh, how should we describe them? Well-meaning friends. Don't you love that phrase? Someone is well-meaning. <laughs> uh, three friends who consider themselves to be somewhat wise. And the dialogue between Job and his three friends and then another fellow by the name of Elihu uh, goes on for most of the rest of the book. Uh, we're not going to go through all of that. But let me just summarise his first friend, Eliphaz, uh, <clears throat> these guys come in order to comfort Job. And his first friend, Eliphaz, uh, sees, well, there's, there's two options here. Uh, either Job is unrighteous and he deserves to suffer, or uh, God is unrighteous for making him suffer. There's only two options. And so Eliphaz is going to go with option number one. <laughs> he has a high view of, of God uh, and so he points the finger and says that the problem must be with Job. Uh, his second friend Bildad uh, relied on what had happened to people in the past because in the past when people had sinned against God they were punished and therefore, uh, therefore Job has sinned and Job is being punished. His third friend is named Zophar. <clears throat> and Zophar's even more of a straight shooter, if it would be possible to be so. Uh, he just tells Job outright that he's being punished for his sin. In fact, Zophar goes farther and he claims that Job is getting off light, that Job is not being punished enough for his sin because in fact, uh, he says that God has forgotten some of Job's sins and therefore he's getting off lightly. Now, I, I suspect that Job would have preferred to have had some friends who might have just 
listened to him, um, cried with him, prayed for him. And over the years, uh, I've met with many people who have just lost a loved one and sometimes through tragedy, uh, like road accidents and suicides and so on. You know what they don't need? Answers. What they need is understanding and compassion, shoulder to cry on. Yet there is still a certain godliness in the response of Job's friends. I mean, sensitivity may not have been their strong point, but they do know that there is an order in this world. They do know that there is such a thing as cause and effect, uh, something which we have seen in the book of Proverbs. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, we've seen that um, foolishness and sin lead to suffering, um, that wisdom and righteousness lead to blessing. We've seen that, haven't we, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and so this is the, the order that we can observe in the world. And so, in that sense, there is much truth in, Job, in what Job's friends say. The problem is that it just doesn't apply to Job. <laughs> That's the problem. I mean, last week when Peter preached, we saw from Proverbs that laziness leads to poverty. You know, go and, you sluggard, go and look at the ant. Uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't go and plough your field and sow your seed, well, don't front up at harvest time and expect us to find something to eat. That laziness leads to poverty, and this is, of course, generally true. However, you can't sort of reverse engineer that. It's not like it would be wrong to, to, to then look down on all people who are poor, uh, as if all poor people of the world are just lazy, <laughs> In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 1, the poor man may actually be the man of greater integrity, whereas the rich man might be the, uh, the foolish oppressor. So, that's just logical. And, and although the logic may seem obvious to us, not everybody sees that logic so clearly. Job's friends didn't. Uh, for some Christians, the link between cause and effect is so rigid that they'll say things like, if you pray for healing and you are not healed, then it's your fault. Um, either there is unconfessed sin in your life that's causing the suffering, or uh, you have not prayed with faith, either of which might actually be true. Uh, there may be a specific sin in the heart that's causing the illness. And prayer is a, is a trusting relationship with God. It's not just a ritual that you go through expecting an answer. But in our fallen world, the rigidity displayed by Job's friends lacks one thing, and that is wisdom. Because the wise person is aware that God's thoughts and God's ways are greater and higher than ours. That we just don't have the full picture. And so, in the frustrating failure 
of Job's friends to help him, we finally come to today's passage. That's my introduction. It's been a nice long introduction, hasn't it? So will you turn with me to Job chapter 28? The passage which shows us uh, the problem that we have in gaining such wisdom. Now I'm going to read part of it again. It's already been read for us, but I think it's worth reading again. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 28. Everyone with me on that? Okay, chapter 28 of Job. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to the darkness. He searches the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from where people dwell, he cuts a shaft. In places forgotten by the foot of man, far from men, he dangles and sways. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Sapphires come from its rocks and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it. No lion prowls there. Man's hand assaults the flinty rock and lays bare the roots of the mountains. He tunnels through the rock. His eyes see all its treasures. He searches the sources of the rivers and brings hidden things to light. And you think to yourself, well, that's a strange passage. <clears throat> I mean, in the middle of a book of, of Job, um, <clears throat> which is dealing with that question of suffering, I mean, it's a great passage if your particular interest happens to be the mining techniques of ancient men. But what's its point? Well, it it pictures man digging into the earth uh, where, by use of his technology, he is enabled to to light up the darkness below. It pictures the man uh, dangling and swaying from a rope in places where uh, no man or beast has ventured, where with his courage... Uh, he's able to discover the great treasures of the earth. And yet in verse 12 we read, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? That is, despite our ingenuity and despite our technology, despite there is one thing which man has failed to unearth, And that is wisdom. We can't find wisdom. And neither can we buy it. A few months ago, I uh, stood in a room and there before me, uh, there was a, a long glass display cabinet. Inside the display cabinet, were the crown jewels. Now, they were amazing. I mean, there's crowns, there's tiaras, there's orbs, there's scepters, there's gold and silver and precious stones. These were the these were the most beautiful things I'd ever seen in my life. And I stood there gazing at them for as long as I could as long as a crowd of people behind me were pushing me forward, (laughs) would allow me to do so. These are beautiful. The most treasured, the most precious possessions. I understand that they're not insured. 
because they can't be. They are officially designated as being priceless. Yet in verses 13 through to 19, no amount of, of gold or silver, no quantity of precious stones, even if I were to own the crown jewels, they would not be of sufficient value to pay for wisdom. Wisdom is supreme. You can't find it. You can't pay for it. Where then, in verse 20, does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? That's the question. You see, ultimately, the, the book of Job, it, it is about suffering, but it's more about wisdom. Nowhere in the entire book does God actually tell Job why he suffered. Neither Job nor his friends get an answer to that question. You and I know, because we're privy to chapter 1. We're privy to the heavenly council. We're privy to the spiritual warfare between Satan and God. But Job wasn't. He was ignorant of all of that. It was all just happening to him. Now, eventually... God does restore Job in terms of his possessions and his stature in life. But the fact that he did not receive an answer to his question is an answer in itself. For more importantly, he gained wisdom. In his suffering, he had to wrestle with the reality that his sufficiency lay not in his wealth, not in his family, not even in his very flesh, but his sufficiency lay in his God. In verse 28, where is wisdom? How can we get it? Well, it's by fearing the Lord. That is wisdom. By fearing the Lord. For Job, he, he knew uh, in his heart, he knew that there was no specific evil which he had committed that warranted such suffering as a punishment. But he didn't think he was free of sin. He did know that there was a distance that separated him from God. He knew of his need for help. So that in the midst of his struggle, in chapter 19, he spoke words of wisdom. I know, he declared, that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. Now, in his cry for Redeemer... Um, Job was trusting in a future reality. We'd have to say that Job wouldn't quite understand what he was saying in the same way that you and I, who are privileged to live this side of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, understand what that means. We understand the Word of God who came in the flesh 
so that we in our flesh might see God through Jesus. Now, a lot of the suffering that we experience in life, let's be honest, it is self-inflicted. Um, the result of our foolish behaviour, our foolish decisions, and the result of our sin. Uh, often, though, the suffering that we endure, much of our suffering is simply the result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has been corrupted by the sin of Adam and Eve, a world that is now... Uh, groaning, uh, waiting for the re revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth and the new... That's the world we live in. And like the young man who suffered so much loss, in this context, uh, God refines our faith and God enables us to truly understand that our sufficiency lies in him alone as my friend would indeed testify in his own experience because in the end true wisdom will find satisfaction in God alone now I know I've told this story before but I'm going to milk it one more time um, as a young minister in my early 30s, in my first week, in my first full-time job as a minister, uh, some people would describe me as being freshly minted at that time, others would say inexperienced and immature, uh, wet behind the ears, green as it were, nevertheless. I visited an elderly Christian lady who was part of the congregation I was serving in who had suffered much in her life. Um, the suffering I was aware of was particularly with great disappointments in terms of where her children had ended up in life and um, their rejection of her and so on. And there uh, in her late 90s, crippled, uh, she was living in a nursing home, uh, unable to do anything much for herself, unable to, unable to get out of bed. And she wept, not because of her pain, but she wept because she described her sadness in not being able to attend church any longer and fellowship with God's people. Now, as an aside, there is a challenge for us every time we're just considering skipping church because we just don't feel like it. In my foolishness, and just looking for a conversation point, I asked her if she was looking forward to turning a hundred so she might get that letter from the Queen. To which she responded... Actually, I'm looking forward to spending my hundredth with the king. Thank you very much. Because like Job, she knew that in Jesus her Redeemer lives. And she longed for that day, knowing that uh, though her flesh was failing, that she would see her God. And that time was near.
that very Christian hope, that sure and certain hope, which enables us, which gives us the capacity to deal with the sufferings we might experience in this life as we look forward to being with our Redeemer, being with our God. You know, I don't remember her as being a woman of suffering so much as I remember her as being a woman of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we live in a sinful, fallen world where uh, suffering happens. We acknowledge our own uh, culpability when it's a result of our foolishness and our sin. We acknowledge that it is also the general state of humanity prior to the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him, that our Redeemer indeed lives and that because of him, that in our flesh we will see you, in our renewed flesh. Our Lord God, we pray that we would always have that hope before us and that that would give us the wisdom that we need to see beyond our circumstances, to not just simply make superficial conclusions from observations and experiences of life, to see something of your higher reality for us. We pray that, strengthened by that, we would keep on serving you, uh, like Job, irrespective of our circumstances, knowing that in you we are sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen.